Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that nothing of what you want to share with us this morning will be hidden from us. I pray that uh, by your spirit we may lean in to hear the words of our Saviour, that we may find our life in him. Amen. There are many ways to die. It's a very morbid opening, isn't it? There are many ways to die. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit careful with even starting with that because I never know, uh, both who's watching and who's here amongst us, how real a trigger such a phrase might be. Some of you might be facing death. I don't know. Some of you may know people who are facing death. Some of you may have all sorts of experiences and that may trigger so many emotions and thoughts. There are many ways to die. Let me take out a whole group of ways by... um, we, We often immediately think of physically... Physically, we can die in so many different ways. Let's just take that off the table for the moment. There are many ways we die and can die. They say that public speaking, people have more of a fear of that than they do of death. There is a kind of dying that people, people are afraid. Afraid of whether they'll be approved of. Afraid of being judged afraid of going unnoticed. There are all sorts of ways we can die. The reason I raise this is because as we read through the Gospel of John, as we read through any Gospels, what we see is Jesus is calling disciples to follow him. And his desire is not simply to have disciples, but to have disciple-making disciples, if you understand that. He doesn't just want people to follow him. He wants people that will follow him and then go and tell other people about about him and help those people grow also into disciple-making disciples. And, of course, this is Luke's task as well. If we remember right back to the start of Luke, he's writing to Theophilus. And he says to Theophilus, others have made an account, but I've made a careful investigation and I've done this so that you can be assured, you can have confidence in what you've come to believe. Because when disciples have confidence and are assured of what they've come to believe, when they experience the reality of God's love, you won't be able to shut those disciples up. So Luke's desire, as Jesus' desire, is to make disciple-making disciples. So we have our stories today. And um, having caught up on Andrew's sermons, um, being away on annual leave myself, um, last week Andrew talked about the two ways of the kingdom, the way of suffering and the way of glory. I'm saying some similar things today, which ought not to be surprising. My passage follows Andrew's passage. And when we look at this a little bit in a moment, you'll see similar themes. 
And um, even as I was looking at where it ends, I'm like, oh, am I going into Vivian's sermon? Well, that's her problem. She'll have to deal with that next week. But um, the way of suffering and the way of glory, I'm, I'm using different words, but similar sentiment. When I zoom out from the passage and just look at it, so the different ways of reading, sometimes we zoom in and we look closely and we look at the meaning. Sometimes we need to zoom out. We're not very good at reading large chunks of the Bible, but we miss things. We miss things that the writer has specifically put there. Sometimes unless you read five chapters in a row, you won't see there's a theme running through. So listen to this theme. I think of it in terms of descent and death and rising and life. Descent and death and rising and life. So last week we heard the great declaration where we're trying to discover who is Jesus. And remember always there's the crowds and there's the disciples. There's the crowds and there's the disciples. People watching today, there might be some crowds among us. There might be some crowds among us here because you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus. That's fine, perfectly fine. But know this, that always as we come to the text, as we come to the Gospels, the invitation is make up your mind. Make up your mind. Who do you think Jesus is? So Jesus asks his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And they have all sorts of ideas. But then he says, who do you say that I am? And they say he's the Messiah. There we go. There we have it. The glory. The glory. The glorious title. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. Immediately after that statement, we have the descent where Jesus tells them for the first time that he is to die. He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Glory, death. And then what happens? They go up on the mountain. The glory again, the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James and John and there's the glory of Jesus displayed in all its wonder. He comes dazzling white. And Luke notes something that the other gospel writers don't note. In the Transfiguration, as Moses and Elijah appear, it says that they spoke about his departure. There we have death again. In that glorious moment, Jesus looks glorious before the disciples. Death is again mentioned. Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his departure, about what will come. And then, of course, the voice from the cloud spoke, saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. This is my son who I have chosen. Listen to him. And then we come to our passage today. So there's the glory on the mountain. And then what happens? The next day when they came down from the mountain, there was the glorious moment. It would have been lovely to stay there. Down they come, and who do they meet? The demon-possessed. Into the darkness, into the space where sometimes it seems darkness reigns. But then we have life again. Power comes out from Jesus. Jesus casts out this demon. And all were amazed at the greatness of God. There's the glory again. 
in the presence of God, there's his glory. What's the very next thing? Listen carefully. This is the part you want to lean in on. While everyone was marvelling, while the crowds were marvelling, maybe, well, crowds and the disciples were marvelling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. So in that glorious moment of a healing and everyone's marvelling, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, listen to me carefully. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. There's death again. Why does he keep bringing it up? In all the moments where there's glory, why does he spoil those moments? Always death is right there. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. I wonder why it was hidden from them. I think the next verses actually tell us why. Straight away, from the moment where Jesus is talking about death, the next passage reads, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Here we are, glory again. Head in the clouds. Which of us is the greatest? Maybe they can't hear what God is saying. Maybe they can't hear what Jesus is saying. Because their way is not God's way. It is not the way of the kingdom. We heard it last week in last week's reading. So in last week's reading in, um, in uh, Luke 9.24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. There is a way in the world where everyone is trying to grasp their life, secure it, hold on to it, make it known, make it great. There is a kind of saving one's life, grasping one's life, trying to be okay, trying to be good enough, and that kind of way, you will lose your life. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. There's only a downward motion from there. But whoever loses their life for me, there's the death, there's the descent, there's the death. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. So there's where, there's where real life is to be found, in the descent and in the death. And there are all sorts of ways to die to oneself. This should come as no surprise to you. Volunteerism is down. Not in churches, everywhere. Volunteerism is down. We've had some tough years, haven't we? COVID, lockdowns. Volunteerism is down. It's so hard to give up our time, our space, our energy, our money. That dying to self is difficult. It's been hard. It's been a hard couple of years. Yet one of the ways in which the kingdom is most manifest is when a disciple touches the presence of the transforming God and then they become a manifest expression of the kingdom. 
Something glorious, something beautiful is expressed. A generosity, a kindness, a gentleness, a love. But the way into this is through descent and death. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Not only will they save their own life, but they will become life for others. When the leaders in children's ministry head out, they lose. They miss out on worshipping and receiving and enjoying. They lose, but the children gain. Life is given to them. Sue and Trevor shared their testimony. Um, On a Thursday, it's a busy day. They go to CBSI on a Thursday morning. Um, I know Sue heads off afterwards. She's got a meeting with some other friends some women she meets up with, and then races back to help out with youth. Sue and Trevor lose, the youth gain life. There are many ways to die. I'd like to look at just a couple. We've zoomed out. Well, I didn't really zoom out as much as I would like, so... But that's it. We'll zoom out. That's enough. Let's zoom in. There's at least a couple of ways I might suggest that we can die to ourselves. So we have the story of the demon-possessed man. And Jesus says something quite cutting, doesn't he? Did you hear it? You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. This is because the healing couldn't take place. The, the, The man comes with his son and says, I brought my son to your disciples I'm assuming it was the disciples that remained. So Jesus went up with Peter, James and John on the mountain. He came back down. I'm assuming the other disciples couldn't heal the son. Um, And Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you or stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. We can wonder why they couldn't. Because if you you have your Bible open, you'll see at the uh, start of chapter 9, Um, Jesus, remember, he sent out the 12, gave them power and authority to cast out demons. They've done it. Where's their power now? Where's their power now? Down. Down, yeah, well, they need to get down to get up. And so they're still needing to understand. Because, you see... Luke doesn't tell us. Luke's focus, if you read Luke's gospel, Jesus is just a powerful force. You read the gospel quickly and you'll just see he's just unstoppable. So that it makes sense when you read uh, part two of Luke, which is Acts, you'll see that the gospel is unstoppable. Right? You just see it's just forceful. And there's a lot of mention of the spirit. Jesus is powerful. And so Luke keeps the focus there. But if you read Matthew and Mark, they'll give you a few hints at why the disciples couldn't do it. Matthew says, uh, so the disciples come and say, how come we couldn't do it? And and according to Matthew, it's because you lack faith. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could move mountains. Now, of course, it's not the size of their faith that counts, right? Because the point is, mustard seed's quite small. And if their faith is too small, it's smaller than a mustard seed. So the issue is never how great our faith is. The issue is where our faith is lodged. Is your faith 
in money? Is your faith in success? Is your faith in yourself? If your faith is in Jesus, it doesn't matter how small it is. It's lodged in the right place. Only a small amount of faith is needed if it's lodged in the right place. Do you believe? Do you trust in Jesus? So they lacked faith. Uh, Mark says um, this kind of demon only come out with prayer. Some scriptures say prayer and fasting. They're making the same point. What is prayer about? It's about dependence on God. I can't do this. Only God can do this. Whether it's faith in Jesus or through prayer, it's about dependence. So even when we read Luke, Luke's, Luke's focus, he just, he's not even worried about why the disciples couldn't do it. All he wants to say is Jesus is powerful. So where's your power? You don't have any. That's the point. You don't have any power. I can do nothing apart from God. And it's only when I know I can, can't do anything, I can't be a good husband, I can't be a good father, I can't. I can't save my children. And it's only, only when I know I actually have no power to do that, that I will come to God to do what I cannot do. I can't get into somebody else's heart and change it. I can't preach. What can I do? I can only speak words. I can't touch your heart. I can't get in there. Only God can do that. And so unless I'm dependent upon God to bring his word to his people, I can't bring it. It'll have no power, no effect. Just like nothing you do in all your life can have any effect. And so until the disciples know they have no power... And that is a kind of dying. We die when we admit our helplessness. We die when we admit our limitations. We die when we admit that we are inadequate for the task. It is a dying to self. That gives us access to the power of the kingdom. God waits for people to die so that he might give them life. His life. Um, Paul puts it in this way. Um, Power, we have none. Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. It doesn't tell us what his thorn is, uh, which I think is a good thing. People wonder whether it was something physical, whether it was some other kind of impediment, but it was an impediment of sorts, something that held him back. And so three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. He goes further to say, I delight then in insults, in hardships, in difficulties, in sufferings. He delights in those things because he knows that when he is dead and he can't do anything, when he's weak, that's when he is most in the position to receive the power of God because he knows he can't do it. Can't minister, can't be the great apostle Paul, can't do anything but by the grace of God. The other way, um, the other way I see this played out is when uh, the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest And again, it's about the glory, isn't it? The position. That position of greatness. And he brings a child among them and he says, you know, whoever welcomes a child 
like this welcomes me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. And so here in this place, we we often think that as we mature, we become greater, right? Of greater use for God. We have... And sometimes we even would like others to know we are mature and of greater prominence. Here's a test. This is about humility. That's, that's what this is about, which is a downward motion. It's a descent and death. A real test of humility is, how do you feel when you're overlooked? You know, when you, you believe you have something to offer, but you're overlooked. Or... Sometimes there's a false humility as well where we, we, we kind of wish we were noticed. Oh, I'm not noticed, but that's okay. Deep down, we, we wish we were noticed. Sometimes as well when we grow we think somehow there's less sin but the Apostle Paul again if I were to refer to him he refers to himself as the least that's the position he puts himself in I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 3 but in um, 1 Timothy 1.15 he refers to himself as the worst or the chief of all sinners but in um, In Ephesians, he's speaking of his call as a servant of the gospel and he says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Did you catch that? I thought the least was the bottom. No, he's less than the least. Can you get any lower? He's less than the least. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. If you want to know whether you're growing in holiness, in maturity, you'll find you judge people less, you're less critical. You'll find you are the least and the worst and the chief of all sinners. So why would you dare judge anyone else? From what position are you criticising or being critical of another? When we are in a position, we sometimes don't notice where God is moving and how he might be working. It's why the disciples miss, don't they? When they say, Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop them because he is not one of us. When you're the least, you're more in a position to notice how God is working, his all-embracing love, where it's moving. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Power and position in the kingdom is different to how it is in the world. The great danger of um, all of this is So we are supposed to, I think I get it, Jerome, I think you're saying we're supposed to sacrifice and offer ourselves. If you try to do that, 
because you think that that's... Okay, I think I heard the message. So obedience is about my death and my sacrifice. And you somehow grit your teeth against all feeling and everything in you which says, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. And you go, I'm going to do this for God. Yeah. You might fall in a heap. There is a way, and it was in our text. Do you remember? Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. This is the part that I can, I, I, I can never do this. I have to pray because I, I can't, I don't know how to commend to you the love of God, that it's real. There is no greater descent and death than the one that Christ did for you and for me. There's no greater descent. I, maybe I'm supposed to in this part insert this really moving story and the story or the analogy somehow connects and you go, oh, God loves me. I'm not sometimes so good at that. I, I always fall short and I say, I don't know, God, how to do... I don't know how to make it real because I know what it feels like in my day-to-day -day living sometimes how I'm stuck, how I'm suffering or I'm tired. And I, I know that feeling. And in that moment, I'm trying to grasp at the goodness and love of God. And it's hard. But sometimes I know the things I must do. I need to create space to be present with God. I need to turn on some music, some worship music. I need to call up a friend and reach out for help because I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling to feel that love and goodness of God. But there is no greater descent and death than what Christ showed for us. In Philippians 2, verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The one who sits on the throne, the glorious one, descended and made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the great descent and death. And I haven't included the verses where it then says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there's the rising in life. And the rising in life that was given to Christ was imparted to us. His descent and death meant our life. Our giving, our sacrifice can only flow when we see that we have been given life. That we see that 
Jesus is serving us, ministering to us even in our pain, in our suffering. He's not far. He's not just seated up there. But we've been given the spirit who grieves even within us. When we sin, God has so made himself vulnerable. So great is his love. And in that space, how do I then speak of my cost and my service and my sacrifice? I'll look at all that I have done. How do I speak of that in light of Christ's ultimate sacrifice? If we are to reach the next generations, as we see the churches dwindling and declining in the West, if we are to reach the next generations, it will be because the people have come to see how great a descent and death that Christ took. Why? For the love of you. So great was God's love for you. And when you're moved from that place, sacrifice will just flow. You won't even count it a cost. So moved will you be by God's love for you. May God touch us afresh over and over that we may know how great his love for us is. Amen.